The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. Hello, and welcome to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I am the host for this podcast. And my husband, Steve Siegel, is the producer and co-founder of the podcast. Today's episode is episode number 348. Before we get into our interview, just a reminder to please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star rating. That way, when people are looking for help or information on addiction, they'll find our podcast. Also, please check out our YouTube channel, subscribe to us there, ring the bell so that you're notified when we put up a new video, and also give us a thumbs up on those videos because that way, once again, people find us when they need help with addiction. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people who need help with addiction. So today we have an interview and we're actually interviewing a a gentleman that we interviewed once before. His name is Josh Villarreal. And as he says it in a nutshell, he was a careered musician and was very successful in many capacities. He once owned a recording studio with Gordon Raphael who was the producer of Strokes and Regina Spector. After getting his own record deal, he worked with these gentlemen on his debut album, Anthony Braun Perry and Scott Montoya. And these were both from the band, The Growlers. Well, he was well on his way and life was good. And he gave it away for one small thing. And that one small thing was heroin. So without further ado, let's talk to Josh Villarreal. Josh Villarreal, do you like Josh or Joshua? Either one's fine. Okay. Well, Josh Villarreal, thank you for being on the podcast again today. I know that you have an update to your story. I did use a little bit of the bio that I had before, but I know you based on what we just talked about, you have other things to to tell us. But for those who maybe didn't listen to your earlier interview, give us a little bit about your background and, you know, where you grew up and, you know, the music industry and what that was for you and tell us about you. Sure. So, yeah. Uh, uh, thank you for having me again. Uh, and uh, yeah, I grew up in Los Angeles and, uh, Drugs were very prevalent everywhere and uh, sort of, I I don't know if I would say I was destined to become an addict, but my mother and father are both addicts and alcoholics. Um, And, you know, for me, the jury's still out on whether or not it's hereditary or not, but I can definitely say based on environmental and external factors, you know, and people in your life. um, I would agree with you. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a researchist. I... I am not sure that I am convinced that it is genetic, although a lot of the people that we interview are absolutely convinced of that. But I also think that circumstances, as you mentioned, is um, huge. Yeah. And I mean, watching my mom when I was a kid was like my hero. So when you watch your hero do something all the time, you're like, well, if they're doing it. It must be it must be uh, there must be something to it, you know. And so, um, yeah, that I'm sure that played into it. Uh, but yeah. Grew up in Los Angeles, and uh, my mom was sort of a, an artist at heart. She wanted to be in the film business and uh, was really into music and turned me on to film and music at a very young age. Later on in life, I uh, got a record deal and was negotiating my contract and doing stuff. 
and uh, got to work with some of my heroes. And I opened a recording studio with Gordon Raphael, the producer of The Strokes. And I got to work with um, some people in a band that I don't really want to name right now. But that's fine. <laughs> More did you did you yeah, sing? Did you play an instrument? What was your what was your part? I, so for in the studio, I uh, did everything except okay. for drums uh, and some bass parts. But some bass I also played too. But yeah, I, I was a perfection. I still am. I'm perfectionist and super obsessive, compulsive, and you know, anal about everything. So like, I, I, it was my, my. It was like the band Tame Impala was a solo project, really at heart. But uh, I had guys that would come out on the road with me and play shows and stuff. But in the studio, it was my, my brainchild, and I wrote all the parts and stuff. And so yeah. And um, how old were you? What what age range was that? Because you look so young, Josh. But. Um, Thank you. I'm 34. Okay. Uh, this would have been, let's see. That would have been about 28, 28. Yeah. 28, okay. It was something like that. Uh, it was short lived though. The whole record deal thing, because yeah, my drug use got out of control. And the reason why I don't want to mention the band is because um, one of the members, uh, I, one of my favorite bands, I wanted you know, a couple of the members to produce my stuff. And I actually landed that and they were produced, but one of the members was actually in, he was in addiction and I had kind of, I was still doing drugs and drinking, but I wasn't doing heroin at that point. Like I, I, w I had done heroin, but I had been clean off heroin for a little while. Anyway, in the studio, I noticed he was sick. You know, he was dope sick as we call it. And I, you know, there's an old saying, if you spot it, you got it. So I knew, and I was like, well, you can't produce this record if you're sick. So I guess I got to go get you well. So I went and picked it up and, you know, it was there. So I just figured I might as well do some too. I'll just do a little bit. So fell back into the trap, um, you know, and I've been an opiate addict on and off for years, ever since I was about 12, 13. Um, and I explained last time it started kind of with an injury and uh, just progressed and progressed. And how, anyway, how old were you when you started, Josh? About, I, I was about 12, 13 years old. Yeah. When you had um, your injury? Yeah. Yeah. I was, I skateboarded and played sports and boxed and stuff. And okay. It, so I was getting into fights too. So that, that didn't help. <laughs> but, okay. uh, and you were prescribed opioids when you, when you had your injury? Yeah. I, I got a herniated disc in my back. So it was pretty uh, bad. Yeah. And, uh, it wasn't quite where they were like, yeah, we should operate on it. Um, or, you know, do a fusion, but it was bad enough. They were giving me some pretty heavy duty stuff. This was back before the DEA stepped in, you know, it was just a couple of years ago, I think 2015 or 16, they stepped in and they're like, okay, we got to do something about this. So a lot of people's prescriptions kind of changed, but way before that, when, you know, pharmaceutical companies were just handing them out going here, take these, this'll, this'll help everything. You know, I got sucked into that and, uh, you know, I thought because the doctor prescribed it, it was okay. So. As so know. many people do. And I apologize for my yard man. That's why I keep muting my microphone. But as so um, many people think, if the doctor prescribes it, it's not dangerous, right? And right. of course, the whole Purdue marketing was that it's not addictive. So we won't get into that. Different <laughs> different podcast. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So um, I got addicted. My parents, my mom and stepfather. Uh, we're getting a divorce. So he was, that was real nasty and he cut off our insurance. So no insurance, no uh, prescription. And I was at a friend's house one day. I just happened to be at a friend's house and I started getting sick. I had never experienced it before. So, but he, he was a little bit older. He was 
quite a bit older actually and he knew exactly what was going on he's like dude i know it's you're dope sick and i said there's no way i don't do i don't do drugs like that and he goes you take those pills what are they and i go oxycodone whatever he goes yeah that's called hillbilly heroin it's the same thing it's just in pill form and it's you know cleaner he so anyway he go he go i was like what do i do i was in a panic and he goes i know somebody that can help you but he doesn't have pills so that was my introduction to china white mm. he brought some over i said how much do i buy he goes just try try ten dollars worth first he goes and do a little line so spent 10 bucks did that line and about five minutes later i sat back and felt better and i go I'm big trouble like I, I knew immediately i was going to be i was addicted like i was already physically but that that yeah and china white is heroin that's what it is mm -hmm. yeah okay well that's yeah. a that's a name i haven't heard before i'm sure it goes by lots of names i know horse and whatever but okay fair enough sorry i interrupted go ahead no worries no worries yeah china white's a powder and then you have tar which is a gunky sort of it looks like tar that's why they call it tar um and then there's uh, uh fetty which is fentanyl and it's you know the difference between china white's kind of got an off brownish tan color in china white is just really white um but that's neither here nor there um but, i did china white. i'm sorry but now you said it you said the f word <laughs> i don't mean the bad word i don't mean the f bomb you said so it's like known that like okay let me backtrack because we've done a fair amount of podcasts about the kids who get fentanyl by mistake because they think they're taking a Xanax or a Percocet that they got off of social media and then it's fentanyl and they die because it's they're poisoned. That's how my brother died. But there's but there's a what I'm getting from you is that there's a, a type of heroin that's got fentanyl in it and like that's okay and addicts want that and they take it and uh, sometimes. The hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 866-989-4499 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. We appreciate you listening to the Addiction Podcast Point of No Return. We don't do this podcast because we are former addicts. We don't do this podcast because we have loved ones who have suffered from addiction. We do this podcast because we feel that addiction is one of the biggest problems facing the world today, and that no matter who you are, no matter your religion, no matter your income status, no matter your race, no matter anything about you, addiction affects you. This podcast is a free resource for anybody looking for help with addiction. If you would like to contribute to our podcast, please go to bit.ly slash fight drugs. That's HTTPS colon slash slash BIT dot LY slash fight drugs and make a donation of whatever amount you would like. Thank you for supporting us. Well, all heroin now has fentanyl in it.
I mean, 99.9% of all heroin is cut with some fentanyl because it's a lot more potent. It's a lot cheaper to mass produce and it keeps people coming back. And not only that, I mean, drug dealers put it in everything. They put it in cocaine. They put it in meth. They put it in weed sometimes because they yeah. want you they want you to come back. They put it. It's a very, very small amount. There's, I was going to say they must regulate it because what we've been told by law enforcement is that. They're not like when it comes out of Mexico, they're not always very careful with how much each pill has in it, which oh. is why some people can take one of the pills and and die. But I so these particular dealers sound like they're a bit more of a businessman and that they don't want you to die. They just want you to get high enough that you'll come back. Yeah. Well, if you die, you don't spend money anymore. So all you need is about that much. Yeah that much and that will get you that i've seen people overdose with that much yeah um i had a fentanyl dealer that was selling it wasn't even fentanyl it's car fentanyl which is even more powerful than fentanyl and like a speck had me overdosing you know i like it was it was wild um so you did heroin and fentanyl yeah i, I loved okay. fentanyl I, oh, okay. I, I asked for fentanyl i'd be like people were scared to die and i'd be like no i want i want to feel like i'm about to die that was you know, because I was just out of control, I guess. But uh, uh, you were anyway. addicted. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I've always been kind of an adrenaline junkie, too. I've, you know, I get addicted to everything if I'm if I'm not careful. I can turn anything into an unhealthy obsession. And because I'm so obsessive, you know, if I like something. I just bury myself in it. But anyway, so moving forward, the last time we spoke, I think I had gotten six months. But uh, in the days following up, I was starting to feel that feeling, those itchy, like, you know, it's, a lot of it's boredom. Some of it's loneliness because I can't really, the people that are in my, my forever people that are directly linked to me, like, um, they, even my mom, who's an alcoholic, they just don't understand the, the want for opiates. They, they don't relate. So I felt like I couldn't speak to them about it. Um, but after the podcast, I guess it was maybe, it wasn't too long. Um, I started, I just, I thought to myself, you know what, maybe if I just do a little bit, that old, just a little bit and I'll be okay uh, thing that you tell yourself every single time. And uh, yeah, I, I went on a, a uh, I would say like a month and a half, almost two month bender. And I was completely out of control. Like it was, it was really, really bad. Um, and I don't want to get into specifics, but I was most definitely... Uh, doing illegal things, which I, you know, deeply regret, but it it was that time it was a, a direct fentanyl uh, connection. And uh, mm. I don't, I would find fentanyl here and there, but a lot of times people won't sell pure fentanyl because they're afraid that it'll, it'll kill their customers. And not only are the customers not going to come back if they die, but also that is a, that's a kick, that's a, a serious charge. That's a, that's, you know, they can get you for murder or manslaughter if you sell so many drugs that kill them. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. We appreciate you listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. We don't do this podcast because we are former addicts. 
We don't do this podcast because we have loved ones who have suffered from addiction. We do this podcast because we feel that addiction is one of the biggest problems facing the world today, and that no matter who you are, no matter your religion, no matter your income status, no matter your race, no matter anything about you, addiction affects you. This podcast is a free resource for anybody looking for help with addiction. If you would like to contribute to our podcast, please go to bit.ly slash fight drugs. That's HTTPS colon slash slash B-I-T dot L-Y slash fight drugs and make a donation of whatever amount you would like. Thank you for supporting us. And they take that really seriously in Texas. So, but I finally found one and, uh, he would, he was selling, you know, actual straight fentanyl. And, um, he was, he was so silly. He, uh, he wouldn't let you do the fentanyl around him or in his, a lot of people want you to fix in front of them so that they can make sure you're okay and that you don't die. But he was yep. like, get out. I don't do anywhere near me when, if you overdose, like, and I'd be like, isn't it supposed to be the other way around? He'd be like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't have Narcan. I don't have any of that. I don't, you know, just get away from me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, uh, so I was on, yeah, I was, I was doing straight, straight, you know, almost pure fentanyl, car fentanyl, actually. But, uh, and I just, I called, uh, my significant other and I said, you know, I was talking to her and I go, I got to go to rehab. I'll, I'm going to go to rehab now. I'm finally going to go to rehab. And <laughs> I, uh, I got arrested again. And I know I had talked about being arrested before, but I, this yeah. kind of, the whole thing happened again, the, the exact same thing where I, I begged, I was like, listen, I swear, like, there's, there's, there, are, there is drug paraphernalia in my car. I am a drug addict. I'll, I'm telling you the truth before you search it. Just know I don't have any dope on me. There's just paraphernalia. And I promise you, I ha- I'm scheduled to go to rehab in a couple of days when a bed opens up. And the cops, they took me in and they had me sit in a cell, but then they explained my story to the DA. And I talked to some, I think it was the DA that I spoke to. And by some miracle, you know, they decided not to pursue charges. They let me go. So they got me, I I got out of jail and I still was kind of, I was on the street just doing what I shouldn't have been doing. And, uh, but I just, I kept telling myself, like, I have to go. Like, so I really wanted to get it in. You know, I wanted my addict mind was telling me, because I was also doing meth Mm. and meth makes me crazy. It makes me, everybody crazy, but you know, um, it gives me the, uh, what's the word? The, uh, the things I wouldn't normally do like at all ever, or I'd be too afraid to do meth, you know, no fear. Gave you the courage. No. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's not like liquid courage with alcohol. It's like, Hey, there's, you know, somebody has got $5,000 in a safe in that house. Okay. Well, what do we have to do to get it? You know, let's watch the house, you know, and, and, uh, when, as soon as they leave, we'll hit it, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll steal this, whatever, you know, just things yeah. like that. And I would never, ever do that sober right. ever. Right. Same, but you know, so I'm out on the street and I'm doing all manner of illegal things and I'm just using and I'm, but I, I kept telling myself like, this has got to be it. And so I finally went home and my girl was like, uh, are you really going to go? And I go, yes, I'm going to go. And she goes, did you bring drugs? And I lied. And I said, no, I, 
you know, I'm probably going to get sick, but that was a total lie. She found me overdosing in the bathroom, as a matter of fact, not too long after that. She was pissed, but I was so, she, she and she hid my drugs from me, um, but uh, what she should have done was flush them, but I woke up in a rage, and, you know, when you're sick and you're angry and you still have meth in your system, you have a tendency to get violent, not towards the person necessarily. That's not how I was. I was violent in that. I was scaring her. I was intimidating her, and I was, like, breaking things. And I was like, you better effing give me that right now. That's mine and you know, I had told you yeah. I'll go to rehab, give me my stuff. And I, you know, I regret that deeply too, you know, um, it just makes you insane. So she, she gave it to me, of course she gave in and I said, look, I'm still going to go, whatever, whatever in my mind at the time, whatever, whatever. <laughs> and, uh, we're getting closer to time to go. And then all of a sudden I say, it's not going to work. Rehab's not going to work. Why bother? Like, why don't I just stay here and write it out and detox? And she's like, you promised me, like you gave me your word. And you're always saying you're big on your word. You gave me your word. You would go and you would do this. And I said, fine, you know, I don't even want to go, but whatever. The whole way there, I'm like, hey, can you stop at the gas station? I have to pee and I'm going in the bathroom and doing, you know what? <laughs> and uh, she knows she she's not stupid. She knows exactly what I'm doing. And she's upset. But, you know, what can she do? Right. I get to rehab and I have drugs hidden on me and uh, they kind of got me settled in pretty quick and I had my own room by myself. So I was like, yes, I'll be fine. Like I can do drugs. <laughs> yeah, I can do my drugs and nobody's going to know. Well, they just happened to forget something on my paperwork that was pretty important. So I was I was uh, probably pretty close to an overdose uh, at this point. And they came and I heard them banging on my door. I woke up out of a, you know, a fentanyl stupor and I was like, crap. And uh, they knew what was going on, but I was so insane at the time. I was pissed. I was like, I can't believe you guys are accusing me. Like, I fell asleep because I'm tired because I'm coming off meth, you know, whatever. And <laughs> I hid the drugs. I hid the drugs. I was I was clever. We'll just say it that way. I hid the drugs okay. and was clever about it. And uh, basically, like, proceeded to strip and they're like no 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 we don't need you to do that we you know and i was like you can search me if like they searched my pockets of course they didn't find anything they searched my shoes my socks my jacket the whole thing and they're like well look we can't i mean unless we find drugs on you we can't kick you out but we suspect you are doing drugs and if you are and this continues like you know you're going to be asked to leave and you're going to we're going to be drug testing you every day to make sure your levels are going down and so um I kind of thought to myself, whatever, they're not going to, they'll probably drug test me, but they're not going to drug test me tomorrow or whatever. So for, for a couple of days, I continued to use, and then I finally ran out. And when I tell you, I, I, went, I finally went to sleep from sleeping off the meth, and I slept for about two days straight. And when I woke up, I, I don't think I've ever felt so ill in my entire life, mm. like ever. The fentanyl sickness was just, and I mean, I, I was, I was dope sick, but I was also so depressed and anxious. I was like, like there were, I would have bouts of uh, weeping where I would just weep and I was so like sad and I didn't know why. So it's I mean, not just physically sick, but it's also mentally and spiritually sick. Yeah. And I mean, heroin will make you uh, mentally physically sick. Yeah. And, but it'll make you mentally sick. Do you have anxiety? Okay. And you have this voice in your head that goes, you know, what'll get you better. Just a right, little right. right. You have that voice, so it gives you a little bit of anxiety. But fentanyl was like, <clears throat> it felt like there were demons, <laughs> you mm. know, and 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 all manner of, you know, otherworldly things just scratching at my brain. And and 
every like sad moment in my life kept coming up in my head and was, you know, touching my heart in all the worst ways and making me cry. And I can't explain it, but I've never felt so sick in my life. I could, I couldn't, I was so sick. I could not get out of bed to get my Suboxone from the detox, uh, um, from the nurse practitioner and, you know, Suboxone would have helped, but mm. I was, I was literally so sick. I was like, I can't get out of bed. I can't, I physically cannot get out of bed. Um, and, uh, like the first day I crawled to the bathroom, like literally crawled. And, uh, they were like, well, the only thing that's going to help you is your Suboxone. And I go, I can't get out. Can you guys bring to me? And they're like, no, you have got to, you got to take initiative. You got to make the effort to come get it. Like you're here. You got to, we, we understand you're detoxing and we sympathize with that. Or it was more like we empathize, but we don't sympathize, you know, everybody yeah, yeah, else yeah. is in their medicine. So yeah, for a couple of days, I didn't even take the Suboxone because I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't get up. So. Anyway, I finally feel well enough and I'm shaking and I can barely hold myself up and I'm walking to the nurse practitioner and I get my first round of Suboxone. It made me feel, I wouldn't say it made me feel better, but it made the withdrawal slightly more tolerable. Mm. The anxiety started to subside a little bit. They gave me anxiety medication too. And so went back to sleep, slept for another couple of days. I would say I was sick for about a week and a half. And I've had periods where I was sick for much longer from like methadone when I was coming off methadone, I was like sick for a month, but the fentanyl sickness was just so terrible. It was so like bad. I said, I never, ever want to go through this ever again. This is yeah. just, this isn't the way. <laughs> so <clears throat> I, uh, I, I started thinking like, how can I do this? Like, I always say I'm going to do this and then I don't do it. Like I screw up. So I, I, I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to make, I've said this before, but I'm going to really make an honest attempt at doing this. And I'm trying, I'm going to try to get to the root. I'm not going to bury myself in recovery or AA or NA again. I'm going to figure out what it is that's making me want to use drugs and relapse and all that sort of thing. Because before it was like, okay, I'll do AA or NA. And that helps for a while, but then it's just like, I'm substituting one thing for another. If you don't okay. get to the root of the problem, I mean, a lot of people think, oh, drugs are the problem. No, they're the solution to the problem. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm sitting there in a therapy session while I'm in rehab and my therapist is like, so what do you want to talk about? And I go, I think I finally realized what's going on. And he goes, what? And I go, my entire life, uh, I've lived in chaos. <clears throat> As a child, my home life was completely unstable. My mother was she did the best that she could, but she was unstable. She was an alcoholic. My mother's marriage was unstable, abusive and unstable. Um, I mean, even our home life growing up, it, it's for years I thought my mom was like, you know, the best mom ever, mom of the year. And I found out that, you know, she was doing things a lot differently than everybody else, which, you know, whatever. But uh, basically, though, I've I've grown up. And, and lived most of my adult life thinking that, like, if I don't have chaos in my life, I don't feel safe. I don't feel comfortable. What makes most people uncomfortable makes me feel more comfortable because I'm, I'm used to it. And it's how I cope. Mm. Uh, using drugs is for, it's chaos. It causes chaos. And that's comfortable for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, um, yeah, I, I told my therapist, I go, I, I felt safe <laughs> in, in a situation that is, usually unsafe and he goes yeah he goes well it makes a lot of sense he goes i think you're having a breakthrough because uh a lot of people they sit here and they they wonder why why they do it and they can't figure it out so that's good you know good on you and i go cool so we explored that more 
And I just, I started pouring everything out. I started talking about things I had done in the past. I was honest about everything. We'd have shares and I'd go, yeah, you know, I was abusive uh, physically and emotionally to my ex-girlfriend uh, because, you know, I was so messed up and I was drinking and doing drugs and, you know, I regret it and I'm deeply ashamed. And I just hope that one day I really can make amends, you know, to her. And I'd, I'd never really said it like that. So matter of fact, and I'm not, I don't want to come off as glorifying it by any means or say that, you know, um, I, yeah, I I'm not promoting that. I just, I knew that I needed to be honest with myself and everybody else and explain what was going on inside of me. So, um, yeah, that, that was something. And everybody was like taken aback, like, wow, like what, you know, and they were like, That's, you know, uh, my friend that was in there with me, I guess I shouldn't say his name, but he goes, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm proud of you, uh, for, uh, sharing. That's crazy. That takes, you know, that takes, that takes, you know, takes guts to, uh, to say that. And I go, well, it's true. I mean, and, and I just, I'm thinking about all these things that I've done, you know, because of, uh, drugs and alcohol and it's, you know, I need to really, really, yeah, get to the root of this thing. So anyway, um, I had this epiphany though, while I was in rehab too, about two weeks in and I said, you know, I've got it. I, I had an email sent to me from uh, a guy I know that's in one of my favorite bands and we were just talking and I go, we should work together, you know? And I was just kind of making an offhand comedy. He goes, yeah, you know, let's, let's do it. And, uh, I was like, you know, holy, can I swear on this podcast? You can. I just have to say you did. Okay. <laughs> I, I was like, holy shit. That's it. That's it. And I go, I'm a musician. I'm not all these things that I've become. And I don't want to be these things anymore. I don't want to be a convict. I am. I will always be a felon and a convict, but I don't want that to be me. I don't want that to be my identity anymore. Like I want it to be part of my story, but I'm a musician. That's who I am. That is my legacy. That is what I was put here to do. That is the most important thing to me in my life. Um, it's the only way I know how to communicate. It's the only way I know how to take all that chaos and control it and put it into something and express myself. That's that huge, only- Josh. I mean, that's huge. You found out who you are. That's so right, basic. Yeah. And you have to do that. And well I mean, so I, thank you. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I made, a, I just made a plan and I go, I'm going to start doing music as a career again. I don't know how I'm going to do it. And I'm a little bit older now, so it might be a little bit harder, but by God, I'm going to find a way. So I went home and I started thinking about it and I started looking online for uh, schools. I go, you know what? I never finished college. I never went to school, uh, but I did super well in high school. I graduated very early. So I, got, I know I'm smart enough to do this. Like, and I know quite a bit about music. I don't know everything by any stretch, but um, I'm fairly confident I could do well. So I enrolled at a place called Dark Horse Institute out of uh, it's actually in Franklin, which is a suburb of Nashville in Tennessee. Okay. And uh, yeah, I was like, it, it was music business and it was an online uh, class. And so I was stoked about that. And um, uh, the admissions, I guess, uh, the admissions advisor, you would call it. Um, he was like, you, you really, really need to reach out to uh, your, your instructor, John Lucchese. He's like an industry veteran. He's actively in the music business, too. So he's got quite a network. He will help you. And so I made, I started setting goals, you know, just, just kind of like in rehab where I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to get back into music and so help me God, I'm going to make it my career again. It is going to be how I make my living. So then 
I said to myself, I'm going to get into a music school. I did. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to make this instructor fall in love with me and mm -hmm. I'm going to somehow work for him. So I attended Dark Horse Institute. I, I loved the course that John had put together. His name is John Luke Casey. And um, yeah, I got a, I, I landed a paid internship, which is now probably going to turn into a job. It seems like we've had discussions about it. Cool. But, uh, yeah. So not only that, I graduated top of my class with a 4.0. So Wow. Um, well done. Thank you. Yeah. So basically, though, what has been working for me, and this is 11 months, you know, now I'm very confident in myself. I don't have any, um, I don't have this, I, I still have the mental cravings here and there. I'll be like, you know, wow, I still miss it. But I don't have so much of the physical, like, anxiety where I, you know, just can't help myself. Um, yeah. I feel much, I feel a big sense of clarity compared to the other times I tried to get clean. So. Uh, and I think that really is because when you're getting clean, for me anyway, um, you have to figure out what your purpose is. You know, like a lot of people um, are so addicted to like meetings and, you know, stuff like that, that it's like once they get out of like if they go one day without a meeting, they'll relapse, which I don't know. That's, you know, whatever works for you and whatever makes you a productive member of society, whatever makes you happy. But to me, that's not how I want to live my life. I don't want right. to be. You know, I don't want to be obsessing over anything. And I, I obsess over enough as it is, you know. So, <laughs> You'll obsess over music and that's okay. Right. Well, and that's that's just it. I, my my purpose was music. So I said, yeah. I'm going to spend all my time burying myself into music, into creative things. And whenever I get cravings or whenever I'm feeling down or depressed or angry, I'm going to work. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to work on music, whatever that looks like. And uh you know, I um, I spend so much of my time focusing on what I'm doing for work, um, and and writing. You know, I write a lot of music that that it, it really, really it, pouring that emotion and those feelings and those thoughts into uh, what you love into your art. I it, I truly believe it helps. Now, I I one of my lifelong dreams would be to open up a rehab that not only uses music therapy, conventional therapy too in recovery, but also music therapy, but also a recording studio inside the facility, maybe even like a small film studio where people can make short films or write and record songs about their drug addiction because that has been so cleansing and cathartic for me. Like, I love it. You know, before I used to obsess over drugs for so long and I would finally just snap and be like, okay, that's it. I've had enough. I'm going to go do it because I can't stop thinking about it. Now right. it's like when I have those thoughts, like when I start thinking too much about drugs, I immediately come and I do what I was destined to do, what my purpose is. I bury myself into music. Now, if I'm on a, if I have a block, if I have writer's block, or if I'm, if that's not working, then I get into the therapeutic mode and I start reaching out to uh, my counselors or, um, you know, somebody who I know has the tools that can help me. And then sometimes I just reach out to people that are struggling because, you know, when you're, when you have that sort of pain, you know, and you do service work for other people, it, it distracts you from what you have going on inside internally. And you can use your experience, strength and hope to sort of encourage them to do better. And then it, oftentimes that makes me feel better too. So, um, yeah, like a rehab with music so that people can be creative. That's like, Right now, that's a goal I have. Uh, um, 
I love it. I love it. And do you have a music project that will be coming out that we can see that we can tell people about or? So I'm, I'm working for John's management company now and presenting a couple of artists and I'm, I'm managing a few um, artists here in Texas. Uh, And then I'm also, I'm in pursuit of a publishing deal. Um, So I'm I'm writing songs so that I can basically write a publishing deal consists of writing songs professionally for bands and artists. Um, And I'm writing for a couple of people that are pretty, that are really successful in the music business. I can't say who just yet, but it's fine. Yeah. Do you you have videos on YouTube? Do you have like your own music videos on YouTube and your own channel and everything? I just started uploading videos to YouTube. I have my Instagram. I've been paying a lot of attention to that lately. And uh, I've been doing a lot of uploading with uh, what I'm basically doing is my brand is music and recovery. They coincide. Okay. With so music has become my recovery. And that's kind of what my social media platforms promote. Um, music and or music in music and, okay. and it, you know. Okay, good. So. Okay. Uh, the other thing I'm doing is I'm producing stuff. And then I just landed a job scoring a film uh, that is going to be directed by a woman called Amanda Kazmira Pryor. And uh, she's, she, yeah, I'm scoring a film. She's an award-winning filmmaker, producer, director. And um, yeah, she's allowing me to, to score it and and supervise the soundtrack for the film. So I think that's awesome. But but what I'm trying to get at, Josh, is where can people hear your music? Do they do oh, so, you have music uh, that they can hear somewhere? Yeah. Just go to Josh Detente, and that's D-A-T-A-N-T dot com. Josh dot com. And then all the there's music up on that site. That's my website. And then there's Perfect. also uh, streaming platforms and YouTube. I'm still kind of building my content and creating, you know, because I just started doing this again, but yeah, it's all there. And D A T A N T. Correct. Yep. And then Perfect. you can find me on uh, Instagram. Same same thing at Josh Dayton. Okay, uh, good. And uh, yeah, Josh, so. thank you for telling your story today. I think, I think, I don't, I don't remember what you said to me last time. I'm so sorry. I mean, I talked to so many people on the podcast, but it sounds to me like you are in a really, really good place, and that you have the tools in place to not relapse. And I know people say, oh, relapse is a part of recovery. Okay. But I think if you have the tools in place and you can avoid relapse, it's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and maybe relapse is part of recovery. I relapsed, you know, I've relapsed dozens of times, but um, I know now, like, again, 11 months is the longest period of sobriety I've ever had. And uh, I'm not saying that it's all music either. I don't want anybody to misunderstand. There is still some therapy involved and there's still, you know. It's a part of your recovery, but just finding out who you are and what your purpose is in life, that is huge, as you mentioned. That's a huge part of it. Well, thank you for talking to us today. I really appreciate it. And I want you to keep us posted. Like, you know, this film deal, you know, when it's done, let us know so that we can see the film and hear how you scored it. And, you know, any of the projects you work on, just let us know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, you guys are on Instagram too, right? I, I think I've seen We you. are. The Addiction Podcast. Yep. Yeah, I think I, I think I follow you. I'm pre- Actually, I do follow you. So. I'll make sure we follow you. Josh Detente. Oh, either way. I mean, I'm just, I'll, I'll send you a video, like some of my stuff on there. I would love it. I would love it. Thank you, Josh. Thank you. I hope you stayed till the end of this interview. I never know how many people stay till the end. 
that was fascinating. I did not realize. I mean, I knew that people were addicted to fentanyl. We had a nurse once on the po- on the podcast that was addicted to fentanyl, but there's someone who really was addicted to fentanyl. And interesting that the dealers who deal in fentanyl, um, yeah, they don't want their buyers to die. And then you have the kids who are dying because they're getting bogus stuff from over the border. I digress. We're right on the holidays. If you need treatment or you know somebody who needs treatment, please, please, please do it now. Okay. Don't wait. And if you want to talk to Josh, because his story is pretty riveting, it's Josh, D A T A N T, D like David, A T like Tom, A and like Nancy, T like Tom, Josh, D A T A N T dot com. And he's Josh. D-A-T-A-N-T on Instagram. We'll be back again next week with another interview. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, reach out to us on Facebook or go to www.theaddictionpodcast.com. Our email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com.